Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. All right, so I've entitled today's message, Gifts for Unity, and I want to talk a little bit about this, but before we get in, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you, and I am thankful to be here gathered with my brothers and sisters today to dive into your word. I pray that it would stir our hearts, that it would uh, awaken things deep inside of us, Lord, that you would speak to us and that you would challenge us. Lord, I pray that as we, uh, as I'm exegeting the word, as I'm diving in, Lord, that I would be faithful to the text. Lord, lead and guide this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And I'm going to turn this just a little bit. All right. And it disappeared. If somebody, oh, it's back. All right. It's disappearing really bad. If somebody could come up here from uh, maybe Quinn or somebody, it's flashing blue, but I couldn't see it turned the way it was. Maybe it's stabilized. This is awkward, right? Not for me. I'm, I'm just, I think it's good. Never mind. Everybody, nobody, not everybody at once. Good, good. All right. Good deal. Okay. All right. Gifts for, it's gone again. It's back again. Maybe, maybe somebody could get somebody to come and look at the TV. That would be great. Just at, at, at convenience, you know. Um, all right. I, I'll keep moving, right? Last week we had some technical difficulties and we pulled through and today as well, but it's going to be all right. So let's just look here. Now, if you're new at City Church, uh, one of the things that we do that is not unique in the world, but might be unique to what you would consider in modern churches, we're just going verse by verse through the text, okay? Um, uh, yeah, it just will flash blue occasionally, which I can live with. Um, this is my oldest son, Isaac. Uh, give it up for Isaac. Yeah, so. Yeah, keep going. All right, don't stare at him the whole time, right? (laughs) Who knew? All right, so we're going to go verse by verse and look at the text. uh, And I'll just remind you a few things uh, that this is 1 Corinthians, but it is not the first letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. We know that because in 1 Corinthians, he makes reference to previous letters that he has sent. So this is the first one that the Holy Spirit felt like was for us, right? So this is the one that's preserved. So we know that Paul is in a moment right here uh, over the course of the previous chapters where he is responding to them, okay? So now concerning spiritual gifts, 
And this becomes a, 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 a really sensitive topic really quick, right? When we talk about sex and when we talk and anything that's around that, you know what I'm saying? Like identity and, and blah, blah, blah inside of that. And when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, those are the two things inside of the church that a lot of times make people feel like, oh man, okay, we're going to find out what kind of church this is real quick. And I just want to let you know that's going to happen today. All right. So Paul continues to address questions that have come to him on their behalf. So what we don't know is we don't know if these were if he's responding to letters that they've written, or maybe people have come from Corinth, they're visiting with Paul, and they're saying, hey, these are the things that we're dealing with. So we're not really sure where he's gotten the information, but we do know that he is, he is addressing these things, um, and, and perhaps it is from their own letters. So, all right. So, Concerning spiritual gifts, and just right out of the gate, we want to look at a couple of things. First of all, this word gifts, when we look at this in the Greek, is not there. So the, the interpreters are trying to help us understand something uh, that's being communicated in a way that we don't typically communicate within our own language, okay? So, so they add this word gifts in, into this text here, and, and, and you'll understand why in just a moment. But this, this idea of being spiritual, this word in the Greek is only used one time in all of Scripture this way, okay? So that's part of what makes it a little bit confusing. And I'll just add this for those of you that really geek out on this stuff. Um, the way that the Greek language is written, and I am by no means like a scholar in this, okay, but the, but the way that it is written is, is it is easy to create compound words and people at the time go, I know exactly what you're trying to say, right? Instead of having to have like a definition with every single word. So there are a lot of times that words are used by Paul who was very educated once or twice that we might not see anywhere else in Scripture, but scholars are, are able to pull together what was being said, and at the time, they clearly understood what was being communicated. This is one of those times. So, spiritual meaning non-carnal or supernatural actions, okay? So, this is more than just being non-carnal, like existing in this place. There's an actual action that's taking place, okay? So, so a, probably a little bit more literal translation would be spiritual brothers, okay? So, um, those who are spiritual. And the problem with just saying that is, is that in, in English, that kind of translates into not necessarily doing something, but you could think spiritually, right? Oh, they're super spiritual, right? They're always talking spiritual, always, but there's no manifestation, right? There's no, there's no, there's nothing that flows out of them, right? So you probably know people or who have, have met people who are very spiritual, right? They can talk about the Jesus thing all the time, but you look at their life, there's no fruit, there's no manifestation, there's nothing that's different about them except for that everything's spiritualized, right? And, and so Paul is talking about those that actually have a manifestation. Now there becomes a quick divide inside of this, and when you, and, and when you look at this, there is a, 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 a section of the church that translate this by adding to the text, okay? Follow with me for a moment. So this is the way that it gets translated by some uh, scholars, that spiritual gifts were extraordinary powers bestowed in the first ages to convince unbelievers and to spread the gospel. So what I mean is, when I say that they add to it, is that 
Paul is talking about these, these people who, that, that, that within the church that operate within these spiritual giftings, right? There's a manifestation. And then the, the scholars will go that Paul is referencing those that did it during that time because it only happened in that time. And the reason that it's added to is because it discounts the idea that spiritual gifts would continue within the church. And, and this is problematic for, for me for a couple of reasons, right? And, and I'll just give a couple of really quick examples. So um, th- there is a, um, a, a doctrine that is taught within a lot of what we would consider to be spirit-filled churches that says that the initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is the evidence of speaking in tongues. And so the argument that they would teach is that if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And the reason that they teach that is because, if I remember correctly, there's five times in the New Testament where it says that the Holy Spirit was poured out, and three of those times it says, and they spoke in other tongues, but two times it doesn't say anything. And so they would go, well, the majority of the time it says they spoke in tongues, so now we're going to say that if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. For me, that's problematic because I'm, I'm adding to it. I'm going, well, I'm making some assumptions by putting my own kind of thoughts into it. I don't want to do that. I want to be really careful when I'm looking at Scripture and breaking it apart. So, so I would not believe that. I would believe that somebody can have the Holy Spirit living inside of them regardless of whether they even believe in speaking in tongues, okay? And, and same thing here. I would not look at this text and go, well you know, these gifts that they're talking about don't exist anymore, right? Because that's just me adding to it. Now, why would they say that? They say it because it, for for hundreds of years at a time, the the church has been less prevalent in operating in them, okay? And so they would go, well, because the church didn't operate in them for 200 years and people weren't talking about it, it, it must have been complete, right? It must have been finished, right? But again, that's just taking information and making some assumptions. Now, this is why for me it's problematic, and that's my own personal testimony. So, my own personal testimony is not going to be your testimony, all right? And, and I'm going to share a couple of experiences that I've had where I have seen God move supernaturally. And you may very well say, I've never experienced anything like that. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the fact that you would say, I've never experienced anything like that, okay? I'm not offended by that. I don't want you to be offended by my experience. I just want you to say, especially if you know me, if you're like, yeah, I know Jim, then, then I would hope that you would go like, Jim's not up here just making some things up, right? Okay, so personal testimony in my own life. Uh, a, a few times that I've experienced and encountered the supernatural move of God. Uh, one of those uh, is, is a, a pretty obvious one if you've been around City Church for a while. Uh, I had a son who was born with a condition that created a tremendous amount of swelling in his body and both of his retinas detached, all right? So doctors told us, zero chance he'll ever see. There's no surgery to repair retinas, right? Okay, and... Uh, you have like this like one in a, you know, whatever, million, billion that a retina uh, might, you know, land in place and they can partially see, right? He has both retinas detached. Eyes were filled with blood. Doctor comes in, sees our son, starts screaming and leaves. My wife comes in to the NIC unit. They said, have you talked with the eye doctor? She says, no. Why? Well, he was doing an eye exam, started screaming. What was he screaming about? We find out later that in the course of just 24 hours, both retinas reattached and his sight was restored. So that's a, 
that's a personal, yeah, yeah, I, I was excited too. <laughs> that was an exciting, that was an exciting moment. It's a personal testimony. And it was, I will tell you, it was not like we were across the street listening to death metal and snorting coke and then God just showed up and did that, right? There were people all over the world who were praying and believing for a miracle to take place, okay? Now, now, there's a lot more to that, a lot more to that story. That was just, the, that's just the tip of the iceberg. We saw multiple miracles take place, firsthand personal testimony, all right? When I was younger, I was at a youth camp in Panama City Beach, and uh, uh, I was in the middle of a, uh, of a worship service, and there was, it was at the, actually the end of the worship service. And this person comes up to me and says, hey, God wants you to know that you're anointed, but, but, you're anointed, but, and then I was so overwhelmed having somebody come up and talk to me saying that they heard from God. I just started bawling like a baby, right? And I was a teenager. I'm, I'm just not lying. I fell down crying and I realized that they had not finished their sentence. And I opened my eyes and looked around and they were gone. And I walked around the room. I couldn't figure out who it was. Camp was over. I went home with an incomplete sentence. You're like, what does that matter? Here's where it matters. Here's where it matters. And this is my personal test, my personal testimony. The next year, I go to this youth camp again. The very first day, very first song, the guy starts playing, boom, boom, boom. And then the guy who's speaking comes out and stops. There's hundreds of kids. He stops the music and he literally says, God has an unfinished word for somebody. And he looks through this sea of like 300 teenagers and points at me and pulls me out of the crowd and says, God wants you to know that you're anointed, but only you can decide if you'll accept the call. That's my personal testimony. That's not somebody else's. You know what I'm saying? And you might go, I have a hard time believing this. Can I just tell you that these moments in my life when I encountered God moving in supernatural ways were moments in my life where I was bathed in prayer, where I was spending time with God, worship was playing in my car, I was reading my word, I was digging in. There is something about being in the presence of God that unlocks these types of things. Okay, so now you may come in here and go, man, I've been coming to see church for a while. Pastor Jim, I didn't know this. You know what I'm saying? And, and part of that is because I also have experienced lots of moments in my life where there has been wild out of control emotion around me and God wasn't doing anything. You know, I, I watched kids in my youth group when I was uh, in a very charismatic part of life who were themselves living like hell, coming into a youth group and acting like God was just speaking to them and they were falling over. And like it was, these were things that really bothered me. You know what I'm saying? I, I would tell God constantly in my prayer time, like if it's not genuine, I just don't want it, right? And I had no problem being in services where everybody else was running around and I would just be standing there with my hand in my pocket and, and thinking to myself, like, I don't know what's going on right now. I was in a service one time where somebody who, I won't name the name, but they're very famous, was talking about, you know, uh, uh, you know the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit was doing. And they, there was a bush on the front of the platform, and it was, like, moving around. And they were like, look, the Holy Spirit is on this bush. And, I mean, there were thousands of people in this room. And everybody's, like, screaming and clapping. And then you can hear, boom, 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 boom air conditioning shuts off, the bush stops moving. 
he keeps preaching, and then you hear, and the bush starts moving again. He stops and says, the Holy Spirit is back on this bush. I'm, 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 not, I'm not in that. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not playing that game. And then they turned around, and he yelled a thing, and everybody in the choir, I was singing in the choir. I, I can't sing, but they needed seats in there. Just to let you know how filled with the Spirit this was, I was in the choir, and literally, there's like a 300-person choir. Everybody falls over in their seat except for me and one other dude. And I'm looking around, and I was, this is on national TV. Like, they're televising this stuff. It's probably on YouTube somewhere. And I'm standing there, like, looking around, like, what is going on? So I'm not up here to, like, I'm not trying to invite you to, to crazy town, okay? Right? So as I talk about the gifts of the Spirit, I am talking about today, when I talk about these things, I am talking about the fact that whatever you, Whatever it is that God's going would have for you, it has to be you and God, and it has to be authentic and genuine. And as we go into this, I just I want to preface that. I, I just want to preface there is this tension, right, to stay in the middle, right? And Paul does other teachings. We'll be getting into this as we talk more about it, about order, right? He talks about these things, about what happens when you lose order. And so these are areas that I'm very sensitive in because I have personally experienced things that I was like, man, this is, this is not right, okay? So he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, he says, I do not want you to be uninformed. And this word right here is really important to, uh, to really flowing into the, the rest of this text, okay? Uninformed. What does that mean? It means to be ignorant, to be willfully ignorant. To be uninformed means there is this thing that is around me that everyone is talking about, everyone's experiencing, there's conversation. I'm not going to do any homework and find out. I just don't care, right? Okay? right? So you have the uninformed. We see this in like so many different aspects of life right now, right? I mean, we have people who are uninformed in a gazillion different ways, right? Uh, we can talk about politics. We could talk about science. There's just uninformed mindsets. I just don't care. So what does he say here? He says, right? He says, I am, I am, I am asking you not to be uninformed when it comes to this. So don't just write it off. So like if you're in here right now and I'm talking about spiritual gifts and you're like, oh, I don't even want to talk about this. I just don't care. Paul says, okay, as I'm getting ready to talk about this, you can't cop out like that. You don't get to go, I don't care. You need to care, right? Verse two. So you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. All right. So church in Corinth, this is a Gentile area, not a lot of Jews, would have been some, but the majority of this church that is coming to the faith, right, they come from being pagan, worshiping other gods. Now they come to know Jesus and their lives are being transformed. And he says, but now just remember before you knew Jesus that there were, there were leaders around you, right, and that they led you astray with the young right? Ignorant followers of idols, listening to the ravings of mad priests and priestesses who murmur nonsense, they claim these mute gods spoke. Just as a perspective, Paul says, I want you to remember what it was like when you were in your moments of worship and you had the priests and the priestesses, they would come out and say, God said this, right? 
but they were speaking of something, saying that they heard from an entity that doesn't have the ability to speak. They're mute, and yet they go, the mute God said this. So Paul says that's, that's ignorance when you begin to claim those things, right? So you move from the uninformed, now he's bringing in the misinformed, right? You've had those that just didn't know anything, and now you've got those that are listening to the crazy town, okay? And they're buying into it. Okay, verse 3, therefore I want you to understand. I want you to move from the uninformed and the misinformed to a place of understanding, right? Understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So you, what does understand mean? To know. So you have, you have knowledge now. He wants you, I want you to have knowledge when it comes to this because you're going to need to be able to tell the difference between what is nonsense and what is God, right? And this is what he's, this is what he's communicating to the church at Corinth, okay, right? Now, there's this interesting little piece that he adds into this, and it says that no one who is actually speaking, who is hearing from God and speaking on God's behalf will ever say this, Jesus is accursed, now, what does accursed mean, right? Accursed is excommunicated. So if somebody, right, says, oh man, I've really been hearing the whole God thing, and let me tell you what God's saying for you, and they're also teaching that, well, Jesus isn't really like the end-all, be-all, you know, like this is a popular, you've heard me say it, this idea that Jesus is just the first Christ, Right? Progressive church right now, Jesus was the first Christ. We can all be Christ. So what are you doing to become Christ? Like, right, what is that doing? That is excommunicating. That is taking a part of the deity, the very nature of who Jesus is, and stripping it away from him. And this is what Paul says. He says, anyone who does that doesn't hear from God. They don't hear from God. So anything that they're saying is nonsense. Anything that they're saying is the ramblings of a mad person. Right? So, when a person denies Jesus in any part, they are not hearing from God. What are they hearing from? Well, the only other thing that could speak would be something that is against God. Right? Be some work of the enemy. Something that's demonic. And you go, I don't know about that. Well, I'll tell you. Like, I had heard testimonies of the demonic and the testimonies of manifestations like that from people that I knew, people that I love, who have said I've encountered this. I have personally, for the majority of my life, had never encountered anything like that. And then one morning, several years ago, at three o'clock in the morning, my phone rang, and uh, it is a young couple. It is the husband. He calls me. And he says, I'm freaking out. My, something's wrong with my wife. And then in the background, I hear this like snarling, crazy voice. And he says, she's threatening to hurt me. I, I, she's not acting like herself, right? It's so crazy sounding that through the, the earpiece in my ear, my wife wakes up and is like, what in the world is going on? And you know, because of technology, I'm in a place now where I'm sucked into this situation, and I begin to think, like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do, right? I mean, you know, I've 
read scripture, you know what I'm saying? And I've seen Hollywood movies, right? I know that this need, we need a Catholic priest with holy water and some crosses, and somebody's going to bar the door closed, and we're going to see some lights and explosions and screaming, right? So I began to, you know, I, I asked this thing some questions, and I'm not going to go into all the details. I did what I've understood from Scripture, and I prayed and cast the thing, and it did not respond. And I'm telling you, I got out my phone real quick, and I Googled what to do when dealing with a demonic spirit. I would like to tell you that it was different than that, but that is what I did sitting in my bed. I Googled it on my phone, and a pastor whom I tremendously respect named Mark Driscoll actually had a blog post that popped up at the very, very beginning. It was the top of the search thing. And he had a six quick points, right, in dealing with this. And most of it bent around the fact that it is Jesus and the authority of Jesus. And it was just the reminder I needed at three o'clock in the morning. And I spoke out again and total silence. And the husband says, you know, she's just laying there right now. And I said, you know, uh, well, let's just wait on the phone. We waited on the phone for a while and she had fallen asleep. And uh, woke up the next day. We were on the phone several times. And he said that she says she couldn't remember any of it. But that wasn't the first time that people had told her that it happened. Right? So there's a lot to it. I'm not naming names in this. What I want you to understand is that I personally experienced what it is like for somebody who is listening to something from the other side right? And, I, and I, I don't know that there's malice involved in that necessarily. It is just about being manipulated and lied to. So, he goes on here in verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So, Everyone is saved by the same gospel, but each is called to different tasks. And I use this word tasks because, because this is the, 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 the reason that we use this word gift is that it is something given to create an action inside of us, right? The gifts of God are not given to us to keep hoarded up and not use, right? And this is why this is such a complicated text when we talk about spiritual gifts, brothers, is that these are, there are those among you who have, they are hearing from God and they are acting out on behalf of what God has called them to act out on. And so these, these things that they're doing, right, are all different, right? And, and Paul will at other times try to talk about this, like, look, I get it, like, Somebody's speaking in tongues, and, and that's, a, that's not a bad thing. I would rather that some of you were operating in the gift of prophecy. Why is he talking about this? Because the human condition, even among Christians, is I want what they've got. I see this person doing this thing, and I want to do what they're doing. So I'm just going to pray that God will let me do that thing. And Paul is setting the stage for the fact that it's just going to look different like God's not calling everybody to operate with the exact same gifting. There's a reason for it. So I want to just unpack over the, the remainder of our time what these different gifts look like. Because he actually gives us a string of these gifts, like how it is that the Holy Spirit will manifest, right? So the, the first one here is just, just laying out what these gifts are. They are specifically a gift of grace or an undeserved favor. So when he's talking about this, 
The way that this breaks down in the Greek is that it's not just like a present that was given, but it is specifically something that is undeserved, okay? It is a grace that comes from God. What is it for services? Literally, that translates in the Greek would be like to clean a table, to serve others. So some need to be called to wipe up messes. Some need to be able to accept that, man, my gifting is to make the messes get cleaned up, to help people who are in need. I see a roof that needs repairing. I'm going to fix the roof. I see that there is a toilet that needs to be plunged. I'm going to plunge the toilet. That is literally a gift that God gives to you that becomes manifest in the believer of workings. This is doing, operating, being the believer, being the person of faith. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So he pauses for a moment and he says, look, the reason that these manifestations, these gifts exist, right, is for the common good, right? So from one source for one purpose. What is that? The church. It all flows from God. And when we can understand that we aren't all called to operate exactly the same, we're not all called to be the same person, but we are literally by design, God is allowing different ones to operate with different giftings. At that point, the common good means that the church is operating as a whole because it's more than any one of us can do. And if I'm sitting here trying to operate in all the giftings, all I'm going to do is burn myself out, be ineffective. But if we as the body of Christ will say, God, do what you need to do in me, use me how you need to use me, then we become one for the common good. Verse 8, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, right? So what is this utterance of wisdom? It's insight, it's intelligence, right? So this is given. What is knowledge? It is doctrine, it is understanding. So some are going to be given this as a gift. Verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. So what is this of healing? Bringing a cure, bringing a remedy. This is a gift from God. Some will operate by having the gift of healing. That means that they can, they know how to pray and there is some way that God connects through them that brings physical healing into people's bodies. Verse 10, to another, the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. So uh, let's look here at miracles. This is A, physical power, force, might, ability, efficacy, energy, meaning. I like this right here in its plural sense as powerful deeds, deeds showing physical power, marvelous works. So miracles are these like incredible manifestations that are, they are, they are moving, right? So some are called for that. Some are going to be given the gift of prophecy. This is the gift of communicating and enforcing revealed truth, revealed truth. Somebody gets up, gives a prophetic word, and it's not true, right? Right? Then they're not hearing from the one source. I've experienced this. I have been in church services where people have looked at me and walked up and spoken a prophetic word over me. One time in particular, I very clearly remember, and it was just not true right? The the word from them was, this is going to scare you, but, and you've never considered this, but God is going to call you into full-time ministry. 
I had been a full-time minister at that point for like seven years. So immediately I was able to go, that's just not from God, right? You don't know me. You might be, you know, misinterpreted. I, I don't want to be the Debbie Downer here, but it's just not true, right? Revealed truth, okay? What else? Here, uh, uh, the, the distinguishing between spirits, right? So what does that mean? To be able to tell the difference between, and the word spirit, this is really, it's, it's, the, it's the, the wind, the breath, the things that are spiritual among us, the spirits that are moving, they move in a, in a plane that we don't physically see, right? Uh, Elijah comes out with his servant and the uh, servant's freaking out because they're surrounded by an army that's about to take them. And Elijah says, hey, uh, I mean, Elisha says, hey, Lord, open the eyes of his understanding that he'll see that those who are with us are greater than those who are against us, and all of a sudden he saw chariots of fire around him, right? Those things which are happening in the spiritual realm. Paul says that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, that, that there are those that can tell the difference in the spirits, right? So somebody's coming along and they're prophesying, right? And the things they're saying are not true. And somebody should have the gifting to be able to go, whoa, 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 whoa. that thing you're listening to is not God. That thing that you're, that you're quoting, that's not God, all right? And here of tongues, this is speaking and interpreting by implication a language, okay? Verse 11, this is where he sums it all up. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So, don't be uninformed. Don't sit here and go, man, we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit, and this is really controversial in the church. And so you go, I don't want anything to do with it. Don't do that, right? All right? And then if you, if you are trying to get informed, be very careful that you're not being misinformed. And Paul gives some really clear distinction there. If somebody is not giving all credit to Jesus, heralding Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, the incarnate form of God, right? If, if they're not pulling all of Scripture and going, this is Jesus, right? Then they're not hearing from God. They're the same as those who, those pagans who are listening to the priests and the priestesses who are going on and on saying that they're hearing from idols that are mute. And this is one of the reasons why we use this language open-handed and closed-handed when we're talking about doctrine, okay? Um, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that Jesus died a bloody, gruesome death on a cross. He was buried and he is resurrected. He has ascended and he is soon returning. Those are not open for debate. We believe that the Word of God is the Word of God. It is for us present today. And it is our responsibility to dive in and understand it, not go, well, that's just a bunch of mumbo jumbo, right? It's the Word of God. It's closed hand. It's just not open for debate. So when people begin to kind of pry that hand open, right, and they begin to go, well, you know, you, you can still not believe that the Bible's real and be a Christian, right? And, and, and Paul kind of addresses this at the beginning of his letter, right? Because he's talking about how, like, you've got a man who is uh, sleeping with his uh, father's wife, and y'all are kind of like, yeah come on in. He's like, you know, it's, you know, the people in the church are like, yeah, it's no big deal. At least you're coming, right? Okay. Right. When we begin to allow these kind of closed handed things, and that's an extreme, right? When we just begin to do that, like, the Bible, eh, and, and, and that's a big thing today. That's a big thing. People go on like, I don't know if I necessarily believe the Bible, but I would consider myself to be a Christian. Well, when we don't believe the Bible, that becomes now the foundation that's used to unravel it all right? Well, if the Bible's not really true, then was Jesus ever really born or is it a wives' tale, 
right? Uh, is it just something that people said that made them feel good, right? Or is it just really like God kind of like, you know, did like a holographic representation to them? It was like, you know, like a, a moment of the force and someone was caught up and they wrote it all down. And, and it's so that we can know that God loves us, right? And all these crazy teachings begin to splinter off and you end up with all these people that go, yeah, I'm a Christian, but you know, like I don't believe like they believe, right? And I'm not saying there is open-handed stuff right? There are things that we don't have a firm grasp on, and I I think that's perfectly fine. You know what I'm saying? When we're talking about things like, you know, and everybody can have their own opinion on this, like eternal security, once saved, always saved. Like, you can be in whichever camp you want to be in on that, right? And I think that you're going to be standing before Jesus one day, and as long as you've held these other things close to your heart, it's really not going to matter. You know what I'm saying? Uh, That's not going to become the thing that tears us all apart. And this is why I use the language that I have more in common with a believer who is, you know, a refugee from Syria than I do with a non-believer that is a wealthy person living next door to me because they're my brother and sister for eternity. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that's it. If they believe these things, if they have bought into the gospel, the gospel being that man sinned, God set a plan into motion, came in the flesh, died for our sins, is resurrected and returning, and that he has spoken to us and leads and guides us, then you are my brother and my sister. And this is why salvation is not really a complicated thing, but it does have these closed-handed areas that are a part of it. And so this is what he says. He says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who, appo- who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so that God is not calling us all to look the same. We're not all called to be the worship leader, the pastor. We're not all called to sit here and operate in this one supernatural area, right? Now, individually, we have the right to go and ask God to move in certain ways, right? Okay? And, and that's, that's perfectly fine. But we, can, we really should be able to start owning who we are in Christ, and if we'll own who we are in Christ and play our role, right, then the betterment of the church is huge. And our ability to impact a community exponentially grows. We're seeking Him, and it's all outflowing, but it's not all going to look the same. And that's, that's, by, that's by design, Right? He's not trying to get us all in the same place at the same time, doing the same thing with the same resources. Right? He's calling some to be wealthy so that they can fund the ministry. You know what I'm saying? So they can fund the, the, the actually, he's, and then he's taking the wicked and making them wealthy. Solomon says, just so that he can, God can take their wealth and distribute it to the righteous. You know what I'm saying? So, so God's not calling us all to do that. God's calling some of us to not have a lot and go into really hard places and share the gospel. We have to be ready to receive our calling. And then we can function as the church in unity. Let's stand to our feet as we close. So this Jesus that I speak about, uh, in, in, inside of this. Jesus is the Son of God, to be very, very clear. All right? In Isaiah, uh, up until you get to the book of Isaiah, there, all, all that we know about this, this coming Messiah, as he is known, is that he will come and crush the head of the enemy, that he will come from the bloodline of Eve, right? And so, 
You come to the book of Isaiah, and I, I love this, I've said this many times, but Isaiah is a prophet who's hearing from God, and he receives this, this download from God that it is going to be God in the flesh. So up until the book of Isaiah, all of the time between Eve and Isaiah, all that the heavens knew, right? You've got to imagine like the, the angels and the demons are all operating on the same prophecy. There's a, there's a descendant of Eve that's coming that's going to crush the head of the serpent, right? Right? We don't, it could be anybody. And then in Isaiah, God says, it's not just going to be anybody. I'm going myself. I'm going to go myself. I'm going to be born into the world and I'm going to walk out the things that need to be walked out. Oh my goodness, like mind-blowing, total transformation in understanding, right? And if you read Scripture through that lens, there's a huge shift from that point in the way that the enemy even begins, uh, the, the way that the enemy is attacking the world. Like you look at Genesis 6, there's like massive nonstop attacks on the bloodline, right? Trying to create, and we don't understand all of it, but there's all these attacks on the bloodline. Once it turns out that God's coming in the flesh, it all changes for the enemy, and Jesus comes, and Jesus is the king, and Jesus is dead, buried, resurrected. He is ascended, and Jesus is returning. And if you don't know that Jesus, we want to pray with you that you would know him. And if you do know that Jesus, and you say, man, I, I love Jesus, and I really am trying to figure out how to be a good Christian, how to walk my faith out, I want to encourage you, look at this text today. Paul just lays out a handful of these uh, callings, these giftings, and you can look at those and say, God, how would you have me operate? What is it that you're calling me to do? What is my gifting for the church? And it'll look different for everybody, right? But it, it will be non-carnal. It will not be that it is something that you can do on your own. It'll be something that God is supernaturally doing through you, right? Something that has never been a part of you. There'll be a shift in your own identity. Amen. I want to pray with you. And if you need prayer or you want to know Jesus, our prayer ministry team will be available in the back. But let's pray real quick. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your mercy and your grace and your goodness. Lord, we are thankful that you have given your word to us that we would be able to receive right? To have knowledge. Lord, that you would lead us and guide us. Thank you for that. Lord, we know that it's not, it doesn't just stop there, but you continue to move. You continue to manifest and make yourself known in our lives. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to know you. Lord, have your way. Use us in your mighty name. Amen and amen. Hey, I love you guys. If you need prayer, please head to the back. Otherwise, we'll see you next week.